Hi, this is Sedge Thompson. Welcome to this special audio highlights podcast from West Coast Live. For more information about our shows and other guests and podcasts, wcl.org. My next guest on West Coast Live has been a dancer since a very young age. His mother inspired him, uh, thought that he would do well with a French-sounding name. So his name went from Ahern to uh, D'Amboise, which sounds much more fun to say, I have to say. Jacques D'Amboise was a principal dancer with the New York City Ballet for more than 33 years. In 1976, he founded the National Dance Institute and is the author of Teaching the Magic of Dance. He's received many awards. Uh, the film He Makes Me Feel Like Dancing, based on his work with the NDI, earned an Academy Award, six Emmy Awards, and a Peabody. And he's one of the, uh, the great classical dancers. There are many heartthrobs of his in the audience today who remember him from uh, Ephraim in uh, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. And uh, he is with us here today to celebrate the publication of his uh, splendid new biography, uh, his autobiography, called I Was a Dancer, with a picture of a handsome, dashing man leaping high in the air, a protege of Georges Balanchine and uh, Lincoln Kirsten. Please welcome Jacques D'Amboise to West Coast Live. <laughs> Jacques, hello, how are you? Great to have you in. They, the, audience, the audience can see it, but the listener can't. He's wearing red shoes. <laughs> red shoes to match the logo, yeah, West well, Coast Live. I've worn these all the time. They make Very me feel stylish. like stylish. Thank you. I Thank think you. I'll go out and get a pair yeah. somewhere. We'll all have to, to go with a kind of a turquoise kerchief now. Yeah, not bad. Yeah. It's just a... a, a yeah. Usually I grab a ribbon and tie a knot, but I went by the store and I saw this and I thought I'll wear it. And it's nice because it's blue, blue, a little greenish blue. And you notice the handkerchief, blue? Blue is a sign of intellect. So I'm trying my best. To, <laughs> it's camouflage, right? Well, the, the cover of your book is kind of a, a, oh, a teal, yeah. a, a light teal. Cover. Yeah, Knopf. Knopf is the publisher. It sounds like you have a coal in you. Knopf. <laughs> but I understand they're the best, and they are. Yeah. They are so, the best. So what part of New York did you grow up in? I grew up in Washington Heights, which is basically north of Harlem and south of Inwood Hill Park. And it's the highest point you can get in Manhattan. It's actually higher than the top of the Empire State in elevation. It was great. I was happy to, you know, in that time it was West Side Story gangs and stuff. But the variety of people on just your block was like a microcosm of the United States. Did, did you develop your sartorial sense then, or was it through working with costume designers at the New York City Ballet? I don't know what the word means. It means like your tailoring, your sense of clothing oh, and stuff. Okay, I never knew it. I thought, I thought it had something to do with Roman senators or something. <laughs> uh, no, I'm a slob dressing. And it happened, my wife, uh, she's gone now, but ma women married a guy. They... They like him for something, but there's always a flaw that they think by getting married they can fix. It's like a nurturing coming out, right? But it never works. And she said, you know, look, I once finished performing, and we were going to a big party in Royal Opera House, outside the Royal Opera House, and I finished performing, and I got into blue jeans and sneakers, and I came out, and Maria Tallchief said something. Go back in. 
You can't go back to the party unless you're dressed up. Performance does not finish for the dancer when the curtain comes down. And naturally, imagine you come out the stage door and you're a schmuck. <laughs> but they just saw you, the fans, as a prince. So at least you should look decently yeah. elegant. Yeah. So it wasn't until I quit dancing that I started wearing a shirt and tie. Well, it's a pretty casual tie. Yeah, but it's nice yeah. because women like it. Women will like you if you have muscle in your body, but under soft skin. Walk down the street anywhere and carry flowers and look at all the women that smile as they walk by you. Not the guys. <laughs> well, it depends what neighborhood you're in. I mean, oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. So when, when you were growing up as a, as a kid and you were, you were physically active and you, and, you, and you were introduced sort of slowly to the dance, there was a time where you used your dance moves. It seemed like almost kung fu in a street fight. Yeah, I didn't know what it was. He was not that. It was a gang that this guy usually... Gang leaders are really weak people, and they surround themselves with flunkies that, you know, and they try to be terrifying. And they, but anyway, there was this guy, and, and uh, in the book it's about it. But basically, I was coming back from the playing handball on Riverside Drive, and he was with his gang picking on some kind of fat kid. And I just said, cut it out. And he said, you know, what are you going to... And like that kind of street talk. And the next thing you know, he had a switchblade knife in his hand. And I didn't even think about it. I mean, I just grabbed my... Did a soutenu, plie, jumped in the air, landed on his shoulders, smashed him to the ground, ran, picked up the knife, and started to stab him in the ass. <laughs> through his blue jeans. I mean, right, pinning him down, and it, his gang was aghast, and suddenly I realized <sighs> I took his virus. In a second, I became the bully. And I remember throwing the knife into the bushes and running home, thinking, what happened to me? In a second, I was a predator. And anyway, I didn't say anything. And that night, and my mother opens the door, and it's two cops. And it seems as though this guy with his gang had been going to old people and scaring them and robbing them. And, and uh, anyway, they had picked them up and they wanted the knife. And they came and the, well, his gang said, oh, Ahern, that was my name then. Joe Ahern has it on that. So they went and knocked. And of course, my mother, there's two cops on the door. And she says, what? And they said, we want to speak to your son. And then, of course, she did this Sarah Bernhardt dramatic act, grabbing her throat, throwing herself against the wall. My son, what has my son done? In a big dramatic scene. I was more terrified of her. They just wanted the gun, the knife. They wanted the knife. Anyway, but... Did you ever tell Georges Balanchine that story? No. No. No, no. But it's too late. He's dead. Yeah, I know, but... <laughs> but I guess, tell you what, when my... Self and substance are reaching their last change, ready for the next life, 
I will go out and seek him in space. And tell him the story. <laughs> and he'll say, you were a defender. So, so what, what, was your, what was your first meeting with him? Uh, how, did, how did that I go? Was, uh, there was a little, a wonderful teacher. She looked like a gypsy. She had black skirt and red scarves. And she taught, Madame Seder, she taught on 181st Street in Amsterdam. And I would go because my sister was taking these ballet classes. And I'd try to disrupt the class and by making little fart sounds and squeaks and gurgling and breaking the rosin in the rosin box. And, and this woman said, little boy, you're so full of energy and noise. Could you get up and do what the little girls do at the end of class where they do these series of jumps? So there were like eight or nine little girls. So I get up and I do these jumps. And she says, Wonderful, wasn't he girls? And she leads them in applause. My first applause, right? <laughs> and, and then she said, if you sit quietly the next week when your sister comes for ballet class, I'll let you do the changement, the jumps at the end of class. Well, all week long, I'm practicing these things. On the way to the school, every street corner, I'm doing these jumps. I sit there like a good little boy. And then at the end, she says, all right, changement, you can join us. I'm in place. And then I do it. Then she said, well, the girls did 16. You have to do 32, and so on. Well, you make noise when you land. Why don't you take the beginning of class, the plies, to learn how to alight from a higher place noiselessly on the ground? And so I do the beginning of class and then the end. And little by little, she got me in. And then after, like, I mean, three months of, yeah, I guess, four times... Uh, seven months, four, seven, 21 classes, came spring, and my mother says, save a place for my Jacques and my, his sister for September when we're back. And Madame Setter said, no, Madame, there is no place for your children here. Well, my sister was the best in the class. I was the only boy, right? And she handed a piece of paper to my mother, and she said, here, the School of American Ballet, George Balanchine, they're better teachers than I am. Your children deserve better than what they could get from me. Right? Beyond belief. Beyond belief. Madam Seda. So then come September, with her blessing and her direction, you go? Oh, I went to the ballet school. And, uh, and then within a year, I, I, before I was nine, uh, I was puck. In Midsummer Night's Dream, Balanchine choreographed. My mother made the costume, had bronchitis, so Lincoln Kirstein sent a limousine to pick me up. I got paid $10, and my father was making $35 a week. And I, so how seductive. Balanchine choreographed Shakespeare, Midsummer Night's Dream, right? Your own costume, four little nymph girls dancing with you as Puck, right? And at that time, Stravinsky wasn't conducting. That was later. <laughs> but very seductive. How could you resist? So I dropped out of school at 15 and joined the Court of Ballet. And then we're traveling abroad. And, and, and as a teenager, that must have been, you know, sometimes I think about young, young uh, men and women who are tennis stars, and they're on these kind of rockets of, of work going from one city to another, and all they know are the inside of an airplane and a tennis stadium they play, they're paid phenomenally, they're, they're treated well. It, it kind of, 
misshapes the perception of the world, but I got the sense from you that you were always still grounded, despite the kind of heady world that you found yourself in. I, I don't know what that means exactly, Sedge. What you're saying is very nice. No, eight performances a week, six months on tour. By the end of the tour, there are more people injured in the wings than there are performing. I mean, the, the, the pressure was terrific. And on our one day off, Monday, well, that's where you didn't take class and you went sightseeing. So you'd go to the Louvre or to Rome or the Uffizi or to the Van Rick Museum or to the St. Petersburg or wherever you were. You tried to squeeze in the little bit of uh, tourist stuff. But I, I've been, I think, except for Antarctica, I think I've hit every continent, most cities. I can count in half a dozen languages. <laughs> Wherever you are. <laughs> right, because you're there and you know how to say Hungarian for thank you. And Komsahamidas, Korean for thank you. And Allah when you leave Turkey, you say, in God's hands, I leave you. But the person who stays says, gule gule, which means smile. Isn't that a beautiful way? I'm leaving you. When I leave you, when I leave you, I'll say, Allah Samaladik. You have to say, gule gule. Gule gule. You're listening to this special audio highlight from West Coast Live on this podcast. For more information about the show and to sign up for our mailing list, wcl.org. And then uh, you met your wife uh, in, the, in the ballet. Yeah, she was seven years older than me. Carolyn George from Texas. She had already been a high school champion basketball, brought their high school high, Highland Park High, to win the state championship. Later I found out she was a crack rifle, rifle shot, a debater, uh, master swimmer she was like and plus taking dance with the Kingsbury sisters and came to New York and uh, did Broadway shows and then got into New York City Ballet and I fell in love immediately I was 17 she was 23 uh, yeah 17 Close enough. You have to do it in different languages. You have to do it in different I was languages. 17, 18, 19, 20. She was 21, 22, 23, 24. Yeah, but did that matter? Well, yes, because I went to kiss her and kind of touch her breast. And she, she said, no, no, I don't want to be serious. What is the 17-year-old pimply-faced <laughs> gawky kid? I was 135 pounds and six foot two. It was at a lamppost. And... And she, wa she, she went out with me because we were dancing together, and I asked her, so you know how you are when you're a teenager? Stupid. <laughs> Real stupid. So I decided I'm not going to talk to her. And not only not talk to her, but either of her friends. So everybody thought, oh, my God, he's a principal dancer. Balanchine's doing these ballets for him. He's such a stuck-up brat. He's not talking to right? But I stalked her. <laughs> I followed her home. 
I waited across the street to see which light went on the brownstone. I watched her if she was at a restaurant, I'd peek in through the window. I'd watch her all the time, who she was with, who she was talking to. For two years. Two years? <laughs> yeah, two years. Finally, by then I was 19, and I thought, you haven't thought about anybody but Carrie for two years. So I went up and I said, uh, hi. I said, you want to go to a movie? And she almost fell over. For We'd been dancing together. I'd be partnering her. But after the bows, I wouldn't stay or talk to her. I'd turn my back and walk on. So we then started. And we were both virgins when we got married. In those days, you know. Uh, and ah. I lost her two years ago. I can't talk about it still. But anyway, yeah. She became a photographer uh, yeah. and, and did a lot of photography for your uh, National Dance it's Institute. A lot of her pictures are in this book. And we did that book that you mentioned that I did, uh, Teaching the Magic of Dance. Hope Cook wrote it with me, and my wife did the photos. It was a trilogy. And uh, then she started a dance class of her own in addition to photography, called The Mob, Carrie's Mob. And it was, if she was here, she would have everybody in the audience in her dance class. And after the dance class, vigorous, right? Aside from all the floor exercise, the ballet bar, a tap class, and then she'd teach little bits from the ballet. She would then go have coffee and, you know, Danish or whatever, fruit. And it was like therapy group therapy. Everybody in this dance class supported her. Well, she died two years ago. The dance class, this started in 1975. The dance class, right, with 80-year-olds, are still meeting, doing class. Carrie's mob. You still dance? Oh, no. I, I don't dance. I have, I took Allegra Kent out to the ballet about a month ago. She had just had her second hip. Her feet are numb. She had a, right? I have artificial knees. All the toes are broken. I can't lift this arm because the biceps of catching ballerinas snapped. And what are they? They are worn by Allegra and me and every other dancer like Napoleon's elite guards wore their medals. They are mottos stamped on our name tags saying, I was a dancer. This was the price. It was worth it, what we did for love. And, and it clearly, I mean, thrilled people to see you. I mean, you would throw ballerinas in the air. They would twist. They would have incredible faith and trust in you that you were there. Yeah. Well, first, I was a very good partner I, because I was a very bad partner in the beginning. And then I decided I can't let that happen. So I'd take a Daggio class where you practice. I'd take the biggest, heaviest girl in class. Then I'd take the worst one in class that was falling off her toes. And then I'd take the best. And I'd go with every group. And I'd try to analyze how could it be better if I was the girl on toe, what would I need? And I became a really good partner. And uh, But people uh, ask me, about Balanchine and why, you know, I did the first movie. I could do what I wanted. I was under contract. I did what I wanted. Uh, 
I went off and did a movie. Balanchine would do a ballet for me. Oh, Mr. B, I won't be able to do the premiere. I'm going to do a TV show down in Miami. Oh, I, think, I just did what I wanted, and he let me. And when it, people would say, why do you let Jacques do what you want? And Balanchine would say, you know, when I was 17, no one could tell Balanchine what to do. I am not going to tell Jacques what to do. He will do something good or he won't. Whoa. Isn't that great? Yeah. I, I want to read you, if I may, Sedge. Sure. I, I was, oh, first of all, can I take the time? It, not too long. No, that's fine. And I, and I, and I did want to ask about Apollo that he, he oh. did for you. But anyway, go okay. ahead. Do you have something? No, no. It's, we had Meg talk about love and sex. We had wonderful Danny there playing the houses, listen to the houses sing. And I was thinking, I'm going to do a dance with children. They're all going to be little houses. And each one is going to, they're all going to sing. And then one of them will come out and tell a story and dance. And the thinking about it. And then I started thinking about poetry and love and metaphors. And there's a poem by Yeats that is so great and it's short. And it has three voices. It has a penny, a coin. It has the voice of a squeaky-faced teenager, voice teenager, and it has a little bit of a narrator. I'm too young. I'm too young. No, I'm old enough. Wherefore, I threw a penny to see if I might love. Go and love, young man, go and love, if the lady be young and fair. Oh, penny, brown penny. I am looped in the loops of her hair. Oh, love is the crooked thing. There's none that knows all that's in it. For one would be thinking of love till the sun ran away and the shadows covered the moon. Oh, Penny, one can't begin it too soon. That was, that was from memory. Yeah, I may have gotten a word. I mean, maybe the shadows didn't cover the moon. It was Mars or something. I know, one of them. <laughs> but nevertheless, remember, I mean, do you like memorizing poetry? Yes, I, and I write it. And so did Balanchine. And in this book, I, I commissioned him. I said, I need a song, a tango. And I have 500 bucks. You want to do it? So he wrote it. And it expresses everything Balanchine is about and is about his choreography, the way his oeuvre, most of his ballets, about seeking the woman, but she must be unattainable because man will make himself better to be worthy of her. And if he ever receives her and gets her, he'll stop trying to be better. So he must never achieve her. It was an early spring of life. We passed each other. One step and you were gone. I went my way alone. We made our minds to find our future everlasting. The rays of sun could maybe shine upon. Now spring is gone and our roses are asleep. No petals left for angry winds to sweep. Why not I? when you were passing by? Why not you when I was passing through? Some years went by. Why don't we try to find each other? 
Our roses still in bloom. Be mine. I'll be your groom. I know I loved you then. And still I love you now. And I know you love me too. Beautiful. That's Balanchine. That's Balanchine. What is Balanchine about? That's what he's about. That's what he's about. Do you feel that, uh, I mean, you had two, two major mentors in the, in the dance world, uh, Lincoln Kirstein and, and George Balanchine. Well, Lincoln wasn't my mentor. Lincoln Kirstein had this ambition. He was six foot four, a giant, powerful man of such passions and energies. I describe it as two Teutonic plates coming together in his head, grinding together, making pebbles that continually rattle in his brain case. And he had ambitions to be the czar of everything there is in the United States. Photography, writing, public radio speaking, media, right, buildings, architecture, music, everything. He had kind of a manic side. Oh, mad. And when, absolutely, and then when he did, he'd take his clothes off and run around in the woods in Connecticut and, or get in his army fatigues and go to a truck stop and try and pick up a trucker. And anyway, but his vision was that in America there would be the next great flowering of classical ballet. And he tried to make that happen. And with the help of Balanchine, he did. But he expected to tell Balanchine what to do. And he didn't realize that he had Mount Everest on his doorstep. So he ended up his whole life doing public relations and raising money for Balanchine. I was a dancer, and you can tell he's still a dancer in his heart and what he does with the NDI. Jacques D'Amboise, knapf, publish it. I was a dancer. Knapf, Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. That's today's West Coast Live. Till next week, safe journey for WCL.org. This is Edge Thompson. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Try out others from West Coast Live right here, and we look forward to having you in one of our audiences one day. For more information, WCL.org.